Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. I'm Brian. I'm glad to be here again today. And I, um, you know, I think I've shared this before, but it just helps me to kind of get the... Um, get it out of the way. But I actually have a bit of a speech impediment, there you go, uh, that comes out to play sometimes. So I just want to just put you all at ease. If I come across a word and it takes me a bit, um, I'm not having a stroke. I'm not scared. I am okay. It just has a bit of time. And it's been kind of a a remarkable story for myself. Uh, back when I was called uh, to preach and be involved in church church life and whatever that has looked like, um, in high school, uh, at one point, about 95% of the words I would attempt to say, I couldn't say as one would. So I only had about like 5% of words where I felt like I could like get into a group. And then now it's more like a speed, a speed bump at like 90, 95% with about 5% where I just kind of hit these bumps um, along the way. But just put you all at ease, helps me out as well. So if it's not for you, it's for me. So I'm selfish, it's cool. Um, but yeah, wanted to share that and get that out of the way. So enough about me. Um, hopefully you all are having a great uh, three-day week- weekend and are making some plans uh, to relax and sleep in. Um, One of the traditions that we have begun to do is on a day off is uh, having like a pancake day. So I just, I recommend that as an option on Monday, uh, go ahead and get that and then make it to tomorrow. Um, But another thing that I really like to do, and I just have kind of a true crime fascination, I I guess. Um, Anyone else addicted to like American Greed or like a Dateline episode on TV? Is it just me? Um, I think I blame my grand, my grandma. I don't know why she thought it was a good idea to expose me to, uh, (laughs) wait for it though, the new detectives. Anyone ever seen that? It was like an authentic CSI, but it's like filmed in like the 90s range. So it has like the fun songs and you know, like advanced DNA. And you're like, well, we do that all the time now, but it was brand new then. I was exposed at a young age to true crime. And one of the things that I like to do is just to watch these American Greed or Day or Daylines. I just completed a podcast on the Bernie Madoff whole scheme that he did and how he was trying to cover up bad things with more bad things and keeping everyone in the dark with it. Um, and it's just one of those things where we think it's kind of like new a bit, but God's word is full of people that if Dateline NBC was around back then, they would be first in line, right? Like with Moses as a whole, like we forget he actually murdered someone. Like he killed someone. That's not like a, oh, he like got into a fight. Like he buried it in sand. So you can tell he's never watched a Dateline before. So I don't know. He kind of lost me there. But we're going to look at the life of David as a whole. And it's kind of an, an interesting story because we know a lot of what he's done. And we know a lot of, of how kind of his downturn was and what occurred. But I just want to take a look and try to learn from some of his mistakes because if we can learn from his, hopefully we can avoid making the same ones. That is called 
wisdom, learn from someone else's mistakes to try to avoid doing the same. But what we end up finding is his story at times uh, can be a lot like ourselves, where you start to dig yourself out of a hole only to dig the hole more deep. And so we're, we're going to take a quick look at his life. Don't be alarmed. I'm not going to read his whole story, especially it would take me a bit. Uh, but we will look uh, a bit at Second Samuel 11 and then end up in Psalm 51, which was like his psalm of response and repentance for the sin that he has done. And then just gives us some insight and some instruction of kind of what we can glean from that and help us because we will find ourselves at times, all the time, dealing with some sin and some things that is just not God's best. So if you take notes, I've shared this before, Nathan does a great job with like the fill in the blank type stuff and it engages folks. I'm not that cool. Um, I, I've tried and I fail. So just take your own notes. If, if I start to, you know, be lame, just draw stuff. I won't know, but it'll feel good to see a pen move. So uh, let's look. If you're going to take notes, the first point is uh, the failure of David. So as we, take, as we take a look at his story, it's in 2 Samuel 11 again. And I would just, in your own time, it might be good to take a look at this. But David was the one that was out in the fields, a son of, Je of Jesse, God had rejected Saul as king, and God was going to anoint someone else as king. And so the prophet went to David's dad's house, Jesse, to find the next king. And the story goes son after son after son. He's like, this isn't the guy. This isn't the guy. That's definitely not the guy. He's not, not the guy. Runs out and goes, do you have any more sons? Because, like, I'm not feeling this whole thing. And they forgot about David out in the field. So kind of an unlikely king. He was kind of out in the field. We know that he did have like a tough side. So just because you sing and play a guitar does not mean you're not tough. Um, he killed a lion. He killed a bear, like assuming with his bare hands. So, you know, kind of a tougher guy, you know, but also can sing. So that that's neat. I think he would be like a country star, though, because like those guys tend to have a bit more, you know, a bit more of the country in them. Um, and so he did that. He was anointed as king. And then at one point, he fought a Philistine who was about nine foot tall, like their guy. And he was talking and cursing our God. And David was there and goes, like, who is this guy? We need to take him out. And they're like, you're up first. And so he uh, did what I would do. I mean, I'd grab a sling. I've, I've used those. I would grab a few rocks. I mean, I've, that, that's not hard. Um, it's hard. I've tried. Um, and, <laughs> and he killed him. And you go, okay, he's dead. No, he then goes and takes the dude's sword and cuts off his own head. Uh, not David's head, to be clear. Goliath's head. Um, chops it off as a sign to the people there that this guy is dead and our God lives. David, with all of his, mil, his, mil, his military conquests, defending the people of God, establishing safety, moving forward to drive out really evil people in that day. And then we find this in the spring when the time when the kings go off to war, David stayed home. A lot of our issues in life and our sins and our pitfalls can often be tied back to not being where you're supposed to be. 
a lot of it can just, you're ending up in places where you shouldn't be. My dad always said to me, nothing good happens after midnight. So my request then was, well, then can I leave my friend's house at midnight and then just drive home? Because, you know, the drive home should be fine. And then I was like, didn't the birth of Christ occur like late in the day or something? Like, isn't that okay? And he said, no, like you need to be, be, be home. But some of these things, when you're not in the right place, you're not doing what you should do bad things occur. And so he was out, and then one evening he got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof, which was a common thing. Here in the U.S., like that's like a feature of a home, like a walkout uh, onto the roof and can like look at views of, down, of downtown there where he, where he was at, just kind of a normal part. And there was a woman that was out taking a bath. And David looked at her, and it was not a passing glance to the point of he began to craft this idea of a way to coerce a sexual relationship with her. So I don't think, if you read between the lines in the text, this was not like a date, this was not a choice of hers, this was the king requesting you to show up and coerce a relationship with her. Mistake two. Then she is with child and the husband's off at war. So David has an issue here. So he goes ahead and he sends for him. He goes, hey, bring Uriah back. He can have you know, a night with his wife. He's been away for a few weeks or a few months and married folks are gonna do what married folks do after you've been on a trip for a long time. Everything will be good. I'll cover up my sin. And Uriah refused because his men were still at war. Uriah was behaving in a way that King David should have behaved. Uriah re refused. King David then said, hey, let's eat at my house. David gets him drunk. Don't advise that. Got him drunk, encouraged him to go home again, and he refu refuses. So David, again, Dateline, NBC, commer commer commercial break is done. We come back. There's another plot, plot, plot twist. This is when he decides to kill him, but not by his own hand. He knows this is an upstanding man. So he gives him a note, says, hey, here's a note. Take it to the guy that's going to lead the war, and that'll be great. It'll be a message from the king to him. But unbeknownst to Uriah, it was a description and instruction on how to kill the very man that brought the note. And Uriah was placed in a spot, intensity in the fight. The other men were instructed to draw back, left him alone, again, doing what David at once did, where he just went in and waged war and did his thing, but he, he created a situation that caused someone's death. So then he takes his wife and makes it his, her his own wife. And again, a, a, ancient world, things were clearly done a bit differently in that time and some of what the kings did. I don't think, the, I don't think God like gave a stamp of approval on, but it was just some of what the history and the culture was. So he took her in as his own, and all of a sudden she has a kid and everything's fine until the prophet of God shows up. In the Old Testament, you have the prophet of God, which is the, they spoke on behalf of God. They spoke the words of God, not their own thoughts or ideas. They spoke the words of God, carried along by the spirit of God. And then you'd have the king that would lead the people of God, okay? So these guys are about in the same rank and you would hope that they would walk step and step and kind of be along the same, on the same road. And Nathan, the prophet, Nathan shares a story with the king. 
and you can find this in chapter 12. Essentially, just to cliff note this a bit, a bit more, there was a rich man with tons of sheep, big, big house. Everything he would want was his. Next door was a poor man with one sheep. In fact, it was not even a full-grown sheep. It was a little um, baby sheep. This poor man named the sheep, cared for the sheep, groomed the sheep. If Instagram was there, he would have put that sheep all over the gram because he was obsessed with it. If you don't know what Instagram is, he would have put it on Facebook, okay? Um, and, and shared it. And all of the older folks would like and heart and can't wait to meet your sheep. You know, it's kind of that story. Well, the king, the rich man, had somebody coming over for a meal. And so in that day, you know, as is now, you have someone at your house. What is your job? You provide them food. So instead of taking from the hundreds of sheep he has, he goes, you know what? His cute sheep would taste very good. Steals the sheep, kills the sheep, eats the sheep. At this, we find that David... Chapter 12, verse 5, he burned with anger against the man and said to the prophet Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die, exclamation point. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then this is where, again, the Dateline episode, the music ramps up and all of it, And Nathan looks to him and says, you are the man. Imagine, plot twist. You think, oh, I'm going to take care of this guy. Doesn't he know who I am? I'm a king. I can do whatever I want. I've killed folks. I have done it all. Mirror put up right to his face. You are that man. I think what happens for us sometimes is we come across aspects of our life where we believe that we can get away with it. And at times we can coerce people into doing things. We can live a fantasy where you're not thinking about what's real. I've talked to folks and and, and even in my own life, there's been times at which when you're kind of brought to your senses and the conviction of God by the power of his spirit and you see yourself or who you truly are, you go, what was I thinking? Right? You've talked to folks who have done stuff or on a dateline or an American Greek. What were you thinking? And they go, I don't know. They were in a fan- he was in a fantasy that had real-life repercussions. There was a late Christian uh, back in the late 1600s, early 1700s. I want to share a quote. I'm just going to call him by his first name. He's French, and I don't speak French, so I'm going to destroy his last name. Francis says, God is merciful, showing us our true hideousness only in proportion to the courage he gives us to bear the sight. God is gracious in showing us who we actually are only in proportion to our ability to bear the sight. And so I want to take a look at how David responded So he was brought back to reality. If you're going to make notes, that'd be a point two if you do that. And we'll find Psalm 51 is the psalm that he wrote to God after he had been confronted on his his stuff, 
on a coerced sexual relay, relationship with another man's wife and then killing that man and then trying to cover it up and doing these things. And it's a great psalm. It's long, but I want to just zero in on verse 10. And one of the sentences that I, I pray will just echo in your mind and your heart in the days and weeks and months is this. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. As we look at that first part, create in me a pure heart, um, people that are more smart than I know the ori original text in which God's word was written. The word create that was used here in Psalms 51 was the same one in, Gen in Genesis 1, when God created the world. We serve a God who creates. David was not asking for him to recreate his heart. He was not asking for just fix my heart. He said, Lord, create in me a new heart. Take my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. Take from me a heart that is full of evil and conspiring and coercive and manipulative and sinful and give me a pure heart. I think it's, it's interesting as um, in the ancient world, the heart really was more than just like a feeling. They believe it was like the life force, the center, their total being was found in their heart. It was not just like, well, I just kind of feel this. They believe that the heart, if it was impure, you would be impure. If it was pure, you would be, be pure. His prayer here is for total transformation of person, of character, of desire, of life. He needed to be made new. And speaking for myself and probably on behalf of us all, I think we've all been in those spots. I have, where I've been, Lord, you need to create in me something new because there is some stuff in my heart that does not please you. And as you reveal it to me by the conviction of your spirit, it's, 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 it's bad. Why do I desire to go into a rage and angry on the highway going into work? I'm not gonna get there any more quick. A one finger salute is not going to help at all. And I was saying a thumbs up. I don't know where your minds went. <laughs> Um, but, you know, mine's like, good work there. Um, there are times, I will say, there's somebody behind and they cut you off and then they just hit their brakes and sometimes I just do this. Oh, oh, one spot, good for you. And then I'm like, Lord, like, why do I care? This isn't you, right? Create in me a pure heart. And I think kind of a, a picture of a pure heart would be a child. And you see the Lord in his earthly ministry really encouraging children to come to him. And the, pure, the purity and innocence of a child, the faith of a child is really what we're called to attain. But we all think we're mature enough and we outgrow that, but we're called back to a, child, a childlike faith, a purity of heart. And it's interesting, especially when you take a look at how the Lord emphasized that in, in the New Testament. You know, in the culture of Rome, kids were not adored as they are today. In fact, I think we at times worship our kids more than we should. And our lives, like our kids are the center of it all and everything revolves around the child, which is a big change from like when my folks were kids. 
right? Like, I mean, it's just, there's been a lot of change. I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to say how you're to raise your kids. But it is interesting how our culture today places a child at the center and everyone's life revolves around the kid and their sports and their school and their stuff. And then when they leave, you kind of have to rebuild your world a bit. In the ancient world, for kids to come up to a teacher was a no-no. The kids need to know their, their place. Why? In that ancient world, specifically in Rome, there was a lot of issues with people being able to conceive. And it, and it makes sense, right? They didn't have all of the uh, know-how and the drugs and the ways to uh, help kind of with those types of issues. And so the, in the ancient world, the saying was, if you wanted a child or you couldn't have a child, unfortunately, you were told to go to the trash heap and find a child that was put in the trash. So even like abortion, even just like evilness of heart and just lack of care, it's nothing new. It's been occurring forever. And so for the Lord to say, hey, let the kids come to me was a massive deal. And the fact that we're told to emulate a child is a massive thing. And I think when we look at this, the creating of me a pure heart, looking at what a pure heart can be, like an example for us, like a childlike faith, a childlike innocence, going back to the part where sin hasn't yet taken hold. Lord, create in me that transformation of character in a person. And all of that's great, but we also have to move towards renewal as well. So if you're going to take notes, moving towards renewal as we look at the last part of the text. Create in me a pure heart and renew and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You know, this alludes from my lens and from my view, the life of David by him saying, I need a new heart, but I need to be renewed as in my spirit of steadfastness means at one point he was. He's like, I was steadfast at one point. I was faithful. I did persevere. I was doing the right things. David, don't forget, he was the one in the fields that was singing songs and taking care of the sheep, doing all that he could. He had a chance to go and support Saul, was playing songs to help Saul as he was tormented. And then Saul turned on him and threw spears. So then he had to do some parkour and you know avoid that and run into a cave. And then in the cave, he had a chance to kill Saul, but he just cut off a piece of his robe. And then he felt guilty about that. But he was trying to do everything right. He killed a giant. He went to war. He was doing all of the right things. He wrote Psalms, and then he had a season where he lost himself. He's saying, he's saying God, renew within me a steadfastness. It's easy to, to, to live out the Christian faith for, for a day, but to do it week after week, day after day. It's kind of like this. Who uh, in here, and you can raise a hand, there's no shame. I won't ask you what it was, but who made a New Year's resolution? How is it going? Right? Like we start off with good intentions. I'm going to do this. I'm going to eat clean. I'm going to go to the gym nine times a week. I'm going to, you know, do all of these things. And we quickly lose track. And the truth is there's nothing new to that. In 2019, I came across an author. I was on the tail end of a really difficult season on staff at a church before. I was there for five and a half years and 
um, I burned out and just was really in a dark spot in my mind and really just going through a lot of stuff. And I came across an author and I read tons of books. Thankfully, I had some time to rest and recoup. But um, in his book, Dallas Will Willard shares in the spirit of the t t t disciplines, which is a shorter book, but it's a book you can read over and over and over again. He's talking about the spirit life, the spirit led life. And he talks about a season we all find ourselves in. And he, and he says this, even if we waver and we turn back to the, quote, old person upon occasion, we are still able to do of otherwise. People without the new life, they have no choice, but we have a new force, God's spirit within us that gives us choice. In this sense, we are free from sin even if not yet free of it. Doing what is good and right becomes increasingly easy, sweet, and sensible to us as grace grows in us. I want to go kind of the front end of that quote again. Even if we waver and we turn back to the old person every now and again, which I do, I'm sure you do. We all have those times at which we are just like, Ugh, like what is wrong with me? It's kind of the Paul thing. What I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I end up doing. I'm a wretched man. I don't know what is occurring. Like, God help me, right? Like, I think we've all been in that spot. And it's, that can occur, but people without the new life, they have no choice to put it in the language of the new Testament, they're still slaves to sin. They're still tied to sin. They can't help themselves. But now we are slaves to, we are tied to righteousness. We can't get away from it, the conviction of God, and constantly getting pulled back to living right. So we are free from sin, even if not yet free of it. So for those of us in the room and you're dealing with sin, I do, you, we all do, you're free from sin but it's normal to not yet be free of it, right? Like there is a degree where you've been set free and made right before God, but we still have our working out our faith with fear and trembling before the Lord. So the question is, is are we willing and able to join into David's heartfelt prayer? Are we willing to ask God to show us our true selves as Francis shared as well, and ask God to give us a pure heart, to create in us a pure heart, and to renew, with, to renew within us a steadfastness of spirit. And those two things, it's kind of like when you ride a bike, not like a vroom vroom bike, but like a, my quads are on fire bike. Um, there is a pedal on each side of the crank. Have you ever tried to ride a bike with just one? Good luck, it's gonna hurt but with them both in step. And it's kind of this idea, Lord, create in me a pure heart, one side, and renew a steadfastness, other side. Create in me a pure heart, renew a steadfastness, create in me a pure heart. And that becomes your prayer, and that becomes whatever you're facing, just that constant reminder of what he has. So response time. How do we proceed? This is great. His life, okay, he made a mistake, you know, he you know, had an affair, you know, he did that, he killed a guy, you know, what's new? Like, what do we do? Right, it should be new, but I'm just saying. What do we do? Um, Nathan shared uh, in, in, in John, I'm not going to get ahead of him and John, but at good old um, Pete, 
And uh, we find him, and I love how the Lord renames him from Simon to Peter. Like, just kind of like, your name Simon? No, it's actually this. Like, it's just kind of a fun, like, flex, I think. Like, I wish I had that, that, that skill. Oh, your name is Doug. From now on, you are Phil. You know, you're like, what? <laughs> but uh, when we look at him, he's the classic example of I want to do right, but I can't. He's the classic, I'm going to insert foot and mouth. He's the classic, Lord, I will die with you. And then it all goes down and he runs, right? And he denies the Lord. He's the one that, that time and time again just kind of fumbles his way through doing his best, but always kind of having those steps. And I like what he writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 to 8. And I'm going to end with this verse. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance, steadfastness, faithfulness, and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For you, you possess these things in increasing measure. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your, not, not, your, not, your knowledge, there we go, of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love how it starts with, start with faith. Start, start with faith. Lord, I believe you are who you say. I repent of my sin. I am doing like my best, your way is not my way. And yeah, the band can come on up. Lord, you are higher, Lord. You are Lord of my life and I'm not in control, you're in control. Add to that, add to that goodness. Obviously carried along by the spirit of God to help, to help you. But that's kind of when you start to change how you behave and you start to pursue, hey, I'm not going to be a jerk at work now. Or on the highway, I'm going to actually allow someone to merge. <laughs> it's hard for me. I have a rule. If there's room behind, get behind, right? <laughs> but if there's no room, okay, fine. You come over. It's okay. Lord, help us. You add to that what? <laughs> Knowledge. So faith goodness, growing and knowing the Lord. And then the next one, which I think can be the most hard at times, is self-control. That's where we find ourselves kind of in a wavering, like back to the old guy, back to the new guy, back to the old me, back to the new me. And then perseverance, steadfastness, faithfulness, persevering in those things mentioned before, but also in the seasons of life, because we'll all go through seasons of life where it's just difficult. It's painful. It makes no sense. I loved what was shared, essentially how our pain has a purpose. It's not pointless. It does hurt, but use that, allow it to shape you and grow you, and then watch it be able to help someone else. You add to that godliness, then mutual affection, mutual affection, to love, and what love is, is others first type of love. Our culture of love is what do I get? A biblical love is how can I give? How can I serve? 
an earthly love and like what we want is love. So we want to build a platform online or we want to be loved or we want to just kind of have it shown to us. Love in a biblical sense is um, a basin and a towel in the washing of feet. It's service. It's caring. It's others above you. And how opposite is that of the world we're in? And we're called to live in that opposite type of a mindset. So as we, as we close, you might be in a spot where you have unaddressed sin in your life. And can I just say it happens to all of us? A pastor I worked for in the Northwest, Pastor Bob, who I love, his grandkids were in our youth group, so he was like a grandpa, Pastor Bob, like the perfect guy to work for when you're new at it. I was like 23, and I'm like, how in the world did they think I could lead a youth group? It's beyond me. Um, but like, I was there, and Bob would always tell us on staff, just have a short list, keep your list as short as you can of things between you and God. He's like, we all have stuff. We all have unconfessed sin. We all have some things, but keep that list as short as you can. Be quick to confess. Be quick to work through your stuff. Don't let it grow and turn into a David where you're making mistakes. You're not where you should be. You're doing wrong things. You're coercive. You're killing. You're doing all of these things quicker than you thought you would. Have a short list. And repentance then is a good thing. It's just essentially, it's realigning, refocusing on Jesus. We're like, hey, I was going down here. I want to come back to you. And it's a beautiful, important, holy thing. So you might be in a spot where it's repentance, or you might be in a spot where you're just going through stuff. You're fiercely independent. You don't need help. You don't want help, but you actually need and want help. Invite Jesus in. If you don't know what to do or how to respond to someone, you're going through an issue in your home or you're going through an issue at work or with the spouse or with the kid, Lord, help me. Give me wisdom. Give me insight. Lord, what do I do? And do you know what he does? And James, it says, if anyone lacks wisdom, ask, and he gives it. But then our wisdom is to do his wisdom, right? Don't second guess what, what. Don't flip-flop in the waves. Just go, okay. I feel like I need to do X, Y, Z. Or maybe you're in a spot, and I've been there. You show up to church, and then you leave as fast as you can. You jump in your car, and you speed off to go get food. Instead of waiting, getting involved, showing up to a men's uh, camp out, a, bro a brotherhood. I love how it's like, we're going to rough it in the woods in Franklin, Tennessee. And then doing the most Franklin thing of all of all of all time. We're 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 going to bring in food. If that's not a story of a Franklin church, I don't know what is. But you know we need that. I'm not saying the food, which I'm sure we do, but like we need that. We need people in our life that is face to face, where these rows become a circle and you're seen and you can talk about things. And so as we sing this song, I'm just going to pray in a response and then we will close this up. But Lord, we give you thanks for who you are. Lord, we give you thanks that your word is full of imperfect, sinful people. Lord, that, that were real human beings just like us that had massive flaws. But Lord, you loved them. 
Lord, you died for them. Lord, you died for us. Lord, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we even knew your name, Lord, you knew us. And you already proactively made a way for us to come back to you and to live life the way that you have intended us to live. So Lord, if there's sin in my heart, in our hearts, Lord, convict us. Lord, we wanna look more like you at the end of the day. Lord, we wanna look more like you at the end of our life. Lord, Lord, help it be so that it gets easy and sweet to follow you as we continue to put you first. And Lord, for those going through just some stuff and it's frustrating and it's painful and it's hurtful, it's confusing, Lord, we invite you in. Jesus, help us. Holy Spirit, Lord, give us wisdom of what to do and how to respond and how to act. Lord, be with us. And Lord, if we're in a spot where we feel alone, Lord, would you send us a friend? Lord, would we be a friend? Lord, when you bring someone to our mind, Lord, would would we pause the show and make a call? Lord, help us be what you've intended your church to be, a faithful community of people looking out for each other, loving each other, encouraging each other, all while we anticipate your glorious return. Lord, let it be so. So Lord, we respond to you now, right where we're at, and we give you thanks for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we just give God some praise this morning in this place? And thank you again, Brian, uh, for sharing with us today. I'm going to read this benediction over you and we'll be dismissed. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Have a great week, family. We love you very much.